Well, it's a brand new year here and we launch off into 2022 and I'm excited to start this year um, with a look as we walk through the most of the New Testament. We're going to be looking at all the letters. It's going to be a year of looking at the letters that were written, the epistles. Um, and most of them were written by Paul, a few other of the disciples and a few others wrote some of the others. And so we're going to be taking a look at all of them. And this year, um, it's actually going to take us about a year and a half to do this look at the letters, but we are going to be taking them as best as we can in chronological order by which they were written. Um, and so that's I'm excited to kind of do that and take a look at Scripture through that lens. Um, the first letter that we're going to be looking at is the book of James. Um, we're going to be spending the next five weeks looking at the book of James. And um, <clears throat> you may not know this, uh, but the, uh, the name James is actually um, misstated in the Bible. Um, the one who wrote this uh, book was actually Jesus's younger brother um, named Jacob. And so this probably should more be better named the book of Jacob. Um, back in the 14th century, um, they um, the name James was a lot more of a popular name in English than Jacob was. And so as they were translating scriptures into English, they grabbed on to that. John Wycliffe grabbed on to the name James instead of Jacob. Um, and then so a lot of translations that were coming out kind of took that same um, name um, as they were naming the book. And then, of course, in 1611, when King James I um, wanted the Bible translated into a version that was called the authorized version, um, you could see why King James would have supported the keeping of the name of James um, there as the title of this book. Um, since 1797, um, the authorized version has been known as the King James version of the Bible. Jacob's letter is written in about 44 AD, um, about 15 years after the crucifixion. Um, it's the uh, earliest or the first of the letters that were adopted or accepted as part of the canon of scripture um, that was written. And so I'm excited to take a look at this letter. It is a view of Christianity from the lens of one who walked with Jesus probably about longer than anybody else. Um, you know, we're talking about the younger brother of Jesus. Um, these two would have, you know, James um, or Jacob would have seen Jesus's earliest days, you know, as a kid, as an adolescent, um, as he moved into his 20s. Um, he would have been watching. He got a front row seat. In fact, we're titling this series Front Row Seat because of the perspective that Jacob would have had on his older brother, Jesus. Um, there was a time a few years ago, I was invited to go to a Seattle Seahawks football game. Um, we went and watched and these tickets were great. They were right, really close down, right behind the bench of the Seahawks, you know, players and the coaches and all of that. And it was kind of fun to watch a game, uh, you know, an NFL game right up close and personal. You're watching Pete Carroll 
Carroll, you know, you know, going up and pulling one of his other coaches aside or a player and, and watching this. And you could see a lot more fun stuff go on being right there close. I mean, these guys were, we were so close to them. They were like full-size people right there and we were watching it. Um, it was great to get that front row seat experience on something like that. Well, Jacob gets this front row seat view of Jesus's life. And I think that, you know, in the years after Jesus had died, rose from the dead, and then eventually, 40 days later, ascend back to heaven, and now he is one of these core followers of Jesus, um, right there in the midst of watching the formation of the church. And I think that there was probably a lot of times where he was frustrated at what people who were calling themselves Christians were doing. Do you remember they first called themselves Christians or, or a word like that um, in Antioch? We read that in the book of Acts. And now we've got these people claiming to be Christians, Christ-like, people following Christ. And they are he's seeing things going on that wasn't Christ-like, that wasn't like his older brother. Um, I noticed the dynamic in a lot of families. You have um, siblings, and when they're in the house, they are mortal enemies. They fight, they compete, um, you know, they argue, um, they are selfish. All of this takes place in most sibling dynamics as they grow up. But then something happens. You've got this same group of people that fight about everything, but as soon as they're out of the house together, they're at school, they are at church, they're out there amongst friends, they're starting to date other people, and pretty soon what you see happen is that these mortal enemies in the house as siblings now are each other's biggest proponents. They are the ones who, you know, they will defend their brother and sister, they will, you know, stick up for them if they're getting bullied. It's because there's a special relationship and it's safe to be enemies in the house. And then when you're out there, you've got this special kinship and relationship that's outside. And so try to envision that kind of dynamic that maybe was going on in Jacob, little brother Jacob's life, as these people were claiming to be like their, like his bigger brother, Christians, like Christ, and yet probably falling short. Probably misinterpreting some of Jesus's actions and realizing that, man, I've got to, I've got to defend what it would be like to be like Jesus Christ, my older brother. And the book of James, as we know it, is filled with a ton of gold nuggets of truth and ways to walk out a Christ-like life. And I think that's what he was setting out to do. He was setting out to say, this is what it's like to be like Christ. Now, the first half of James chapter one is about trials. And I'm not going to take time in this series to talk about trials because we just finished up in November um, a series called Trials as we were looking at the second half of the book of Acts. But James gives a great description of how to deal with trials. In fact, we even quoted it several times throughout our uh, look at the uh, book of Acts in that series. So we're going to pick up today looking at verse 19, James chapter one, verse 19. 
19. And here we find James really laying down this base level. If you're going to be like Christ, this is what it's, it's going to be. And it's serious. It's serious to be like Christ. So let's read a few verses. James chapter 1, verse 19 through 27. It says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does." If any one of you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, the last few verses we just read there, we find Jacob or James, however you want to call it. We'll, we'll try to stick with James if we can, but um, James gives this um, amazing three-point description of what it means to be a genuine follower of Christ or to be like my older brother Jesus. If you want to be like him, here's what it comes down to. And he gives this first one. First, he says, if any of you, if any of you thinks he's religious but doesn't bridle his own tongue, that religion is worthless. He, he gives us in, important instruction to bridle your tongue. Watch what you say. Don't run off on the mouth. You know, um, you just say stuff that comes off the top of your head or is based in emotion. And you end up saying a lot of stuff that Jesus wouldn't say. Boy, if we could get our society to bridle their tongue, it would be an absolute miracle. We have got so many people spouting off with their opinions, saying stuff or writing stuff without thinking. They are not acting like Christ. Even some of the people that probably are the most devout in church, they've been there for a long time, have a real difficult time controlling their tongue, controlling what they say. And here we find James saying, if you're going to be like Jesus, you're going to watch what you say. You're going to bridle your tongue. Another thing that we hear is that true religion is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. What does this mean? What does this look like? Well, kind of comes down to this. You're not the only one in this world. You are not what this world is all about. Yet we put ourselves center stage in every scene in our life. And therefore, we end up putting our own needs generally above other people's needs. It's pretty natural to put our own needs first. And here he says, you're not the only one in this world. If you want to be like Christ, you're going to walk like other people matter. Other people who have, uh, you know, challenges and difficulties that you don't have, you need to be looking at and caring about those things. And, I, and I'm trying to imagine James following his older brother. 
And he is watching people spout off in the mouth, and then he's watching people not care about the widows and the orphans and those who have needs, and they're calling themselves like Christ, and they're going, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus was all about caring for the hurt and the sick and the poor, people coming to him. He was hanging out with people that had major difficulties in life. That's what walking like Jesus looked like, looking for people who had need. To whom much is given, much is required. He had that firmly embedded in his mind and heart after watching his entire life Jesus and the way he did it. Um, he also had this idea that you are the vessel, you are the mechanism, you are the tool that God wants to use to be a blessing to those who are in need. So we find first one, bridle your tongue. Second, look after orphans and widows and their trouble. And then the last thing he says here is to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And so as you think about the different settings you're in, especially as you are caring for orphans and widows and people who are in need, you might find yourself in compromising situations. In fact, Jesus and his followers were often criticized because they were hanging around with the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, those of ill repute, those who um, were kind of the low end of society or the ones that none of the religious people would be around. And that's who they were around. And so James says this, you keep yourself from being unspotted by the world because when you love the world and you find yourself in the dregs of society, the needs of society, it would be pretty easy to get yourself um, contaminated by the sinfulness that you're surrounded by. And here we have James saying, if you're going to walk like Jesus, you're going to be able to be in the dirt without getting dirty. You're going to be able to be in the mud without getting muddy. You're going to keep yourself unspotted from the world, even though you are loving them. That's what it would be like to be like Jesus. You recognize that you hold yourself to a higher standard than the rest of the world. That's what Jesus did, even though he was right in the midst of it. How does one achieve this kind of Christianity? How does one, this one that's that this three-point message that James gives, bridling your tongue, um, caring for orphans and widows, and keeping yourself from being unspotted by the world, how do you achieve such a faith? How do you, this, this walk, this lifestyle, um, this Jesus-like lifestyle, how do you achieve that? Well, I don't know how to do it fully, friends, because I am, you know, walking this faith life just like you are. I've not arrived in any way, shape, or form. I would like to figure out how to keep myself from being unspotted by the world. I would like to train myself on how to care for the orphans and the widows more fully. I would like to figure out how to bridle my own tongue um, because a lot of the stuff that comes out of my mouth is challenging. In fact, in a few weeks, we're going to be looking at this fully because I believe it's in James chapter 3. Um, the taming of the tongue portion will be coming up in a few weeks. So I would love to learn how to tame my tongue just like you would? How do I control my, my you know, anger or frustration or coarse joking or whatever? All of that is important. However, I do think a lot of it comes down to the first part that we read. Um, he starts off in this portion of scripture um, by talking about in verse 19, so then my dear brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Um, as we are swift to hear, swift to listen, we are attuned to being learners, 
of what's around us, learners of what's written for us, learners of those around us, diligent to listen, we are going to be gaining insight. We're going to be gaining God input into our lives. Oftentimes, our tongues go faster than our brains, and we do not think about everything that we're saying, and our tongue gets us into a whole lot of trouble because we haven't taken the time to stop and be listeners first. We often are jump to being speakers first, talkers first. And when we spend more time listening than we do speaking, we will be filled up with wisdom for the, for the moments that come after, for the moments that follow. And if we wait to speak, we are going to avoid speaking out of anger, but rather out of conviction. Now, I want for you to think with me for a bit of a moment, a difference between anger and conviction. Anger and conviction, there's a difference. Um, Even though they could look kind of similar, they are different in that anger is based in emotion. When a person jumps to anger or wrath, they're jumping out of emotion about a situation. When someone responds out of conviction, it's coming out of something deeper. It's coming out of something that's been thought through, something that's been prayed through, something that's been educated about. Um, It is a conviction inside. And so a lot of times people will say, well, Jesus got angry because he went into the temple um, and he turned over tables of those who were selling doves and stuff in the temple court. And so Jesus was wasn't anger and therefore getting angry is not sinful. Well, no, I I, actually, I read all of the different parts of scripture in the gospels of Jesus flipping tables, uh, Matthew 21, Mark 11, I believe, and Luke 19. All of them record this piece of this moment in Jesus's life. And never once does it mention Jesus being angry. He went in there and he made a point. He went in there and he uh, made decisive actions about what was right. But he never once, um, it never records that Jesus was acting in anger or wrath. The reason is that Jesus was operating out of conviction. He was operating out of something that was well thought through and he didn't lose it. He didn't lose his emotion. He didn't lose his testimony. He went in there and he made a point about what was right to those who needed to know what was right. And he stopped an unrighteous action from taking place in the temple. But he didn't do it out of anger. He did it out of conviction. Now, in order for us to get to this place where we're operating out of conviction, it, it requires us to take time to listen, to be slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And when we get to that place where we are doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word, it's going to be because we are operating out of well-processed conviction. When we're quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, we respond to people out of the convictions rather than out of our emotions, and we then have something to offer, um, something of righteousness to offer. Now, I want you to think about this. If you're trying to live out this life, 
like Christ, like James wanted all of these Christians all over, um, you know, all over the area. He wrote this letter to many people, to a broad audience, primarily to a Jewish audience, but it was broad. It wasn't to a specific church. It wasn't to a, a specific person. This letter of James was written to many Christians. It was a broad look at you want to walk like Jesus and you aren't really doing a good job at it. Here's what you need to do. And he boils it down to these three things. And he says, if you want to do it, it's going to take you developing conviction about that which is right, that which is pure, that which is holy. You develop a conviction-based response, as opposed to an anger or emotional-based response. And he probably was watching a lot of people not taking their time to process down to their convictions. You see, um, you know, I've, I've processed different aspects of gray issues that are in the church because, you know, you take issues such as drinking alcohol or other different things, um, you know, dance and things that used to be really a big no-no in the church. And now you see more and more people, you know, having liberties in this way. It takes time to, to think about, well, what are your convictions on the gray areas? And I'm not here to tell you what's right or wrong on some of those gray areas. But what I can tell you is that I've processed some gray areas in my own life over the last 25 years have developed certain convictions about what's right and what's wrong to the point where I could go into settings where the gray areas are being fully engaged in and I can sit there or I can participate with someone without compromising some of those areas. I won't give in to an area that I've drawn a conviction on, but I can sit there loving and fully participating in the life with that person who maybe has drawn other conclusions or hasn't thought about it yet. And I can sit there without being unspotted by the world. And I can only do that because of being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, taking time to develop deep-seated convictions to where I could sit there and it doesn't bother me to be around someone who doesn't share those convictions. But if I haven't taken time, if I have been slow to listen, I've been dull, I haven't been trying to learn, I've just been a mouthpiece and speaking and spouting off and sharing opinions left and right, and I've not taken time to develop deep-seated convictions, I can be, I can be thrown and tossed back and forth, and I could easily be drawn into the emotional following of what everyone else is doing. And so I want to invite you to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, take time to spend on God's Word. Take time to spend it on prayer and to fully process different pieces of the puzzle of the Christian life. And when you take time to do it, convictions will develop and pretty soon you're going to find yourself not being thrown and tossed left and right all the time, but rather walking a, a more consistent life, not given over to emotion. Um, it is so important. And so, you know, we're, this is the first Sunday of the year. We're just starting a brand new Bible reading plan. Um, we, we like to do this every year, read through the entire Bible in a year. Some people just like to take the plan I'm doing and maybe just read the New Testament or just the Old Testament. 
Maybe, maybe even just taking the psalm or the proverb that's there for that. I give you a plan that includes all of that every day, all year long. And so I would invite you to follow along with me. Check out our bulletin. Um, contact me personally if you want me to give you a link to the Bible reading plan for this coming year. And as you take time to get into God's Word, I think you're going to find this kind of faith, this kind of following Jesus in the same way James, his younger brother, wanted everyone to um, to do it. Um, I, I think that you're going to find this year can become a life changer for you as you take time in God's Word. You give God time every single day to be listening, to being quiet before Him, and you're going to find um, your anger to not be based in wrath, but rather based in conviction, and you'll be able to operate in love when you do that. And so um, get into God's Word this year with me. I'd love to have you join with me in my journey through the Bible. Let's pray. I'm looking forward to the next four weeks as we unfold. The, the first chapter of James really is a, um, an overview of some of the more details that are coming the rest of the book. So we're going to spend the next four weeks taking the next chapters, and we're probably going to find reference to this very first message because um, he lays this basic. If you want to be like Jesus... This is what it looks like. Now we're going to get into some details in the weeks to come. Lord, I just pray that you would take this message that's been shared as we take a look at the book of James. Lord, what, a, what an awesome view. James, Jesus' younger brother telling us, if you want to be like my older brother, you're going to do this. I pray, God, that we would take this serious because following you is serious. Um, Lord, I pray that we would be able to be quick to listen this week. We could be slow to speak and to give our opinion so that we might instead operate out of conviction rather than just anger and frustration. And Lord God, I just pray, Lord, that you would just cover this new year, 2022. May it be a year that's um, just transformative in my life and in the lives of, of each one who calls Rochester Life their home. In Jesus' name, amen.